Episode 123 of Gaming in BS. Welcome to Gaming in BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you with us again. Oh, my God. Ooh. I got an echo going on. Oh my God! Fix that. Better fix that. Pause the. All better. Yeah, I, was, I have the live stream up because of the chat room, and then I forgot to mute it. So. I think oh, good it's all now. good. It's all good. Though. All good. We've got some pretty hefty uh, random encounters to go through here, so let me just do a quick announcement bit. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I plugged this before the streets of Avalon. Um, Chris Nizak was kind enough to offer up uh, an opportunity for me to um, run my Avalon setting for uh, Chris. Uh, Tom Flanagan from Nights and Night, Emily from She's a Super Geek, and Kev Thulu from the, uh, well, Kevin is the glue that holds Misdirected Mark and Gaming BS together. So I'm running the game. It's a 5e game. It's an actual play. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have episode one and episode zero. We did episode one uh, in Media Rays just to kind of like, hey, right in the middle of the action. And we immediately, like Chris and I knew, we got some questions back, like even from Sean. The hell? The hell? What's this? Oh, my God. I'd like to know some more. So we did an episode zero. Um, so you can listen to it in whichever order you would like. Um, we talked, I, I was talking with Chris last week. He, Tom, Kevin, and I were chatting. Emily wasn't able to make it. And I think episode two is coming right quick. So I think that actually may show up shortly after this one drops. I'm not quite positive. But anyway, that is coming. And uh, in conjunction with that, we're hoping to do, I'm hoping to do anyway, some uh, Avalon setting material I can publish through Encoded. So that'll be kind of fun. But other than that, Evercon is over. I have, uh, I think I've caught up on the sleep. So, Sean, unless you have anything, let's just let's random it up, man. Random encounter. Segment of the show with field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. We've got a few this week, Brett. I'll start off here. Roger Bresley, Roger Bresley, email left and said, "Want to share with you a weather-based story that's currently happening in the game I'm running." I think this is Roger Brassel. Is this Roger? Is this the Roger? I think it's the only Roger we have. Uh, he's currently running a Dresden Files RPG Fate. One of the major players in the city is the Summer Court. We're in our third session, and each time I've made uh, subtle remarks to the players of the weather. Sunny, clear, abnormally hot. This is because the Summer Court is working to increase their power. So far, the players haven't connected the two, but they seem to be uh, getting the hint that it's abnormally warm. Though I thought I'd share it, how the weather has helped and lend clues to the narrative of the game. Oh, this is indeed a different Roger. This is Roger F, not Roger yes. Braslett. Oh Correct. my God. I didn't want to use his last name because uh, I didn't know if I could. So I just figured totally I'd fine. correct you midstream if I could. Oh, that's totally fine. I, I read this. I'm like, you know what? I could get Braslett to play some fate with me. I'm pretty sure I could, but I don't. That didn't say Warhammer in the title. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's pretty cool, Roger. Honestly, man, Roger F, that is. Um, those subtle clues, right? When something is happening and you can tweak the weather in some way, shape, or form. Wow, it's been raining for five. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's been raining for five days straight? Yeah. Okay, that's weird. Those things like, hey, um, Sean, I hinted at this last time or talked directly to it, I should say, around you know magic and how that affects the weather and so on. So that's good stuff. Yeah, I did like his email and how he's subtly putting that in there. Like, yeah, you get really tired of it being hot and sunny. Every day. 
And frankly, you know, droughts, man, they happen over time. Like, yeah, they do. You know, hey, it's it may not even be hot. It just may not rain. Yeah, what turns into a beautiful week of summer, and you have farmers tearing their hair out, and you know, two weeks after that, because it rained. Yeah, Brett and I are riding motorcycles, having a blast. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah, there's no water. There's no water. It's not so fun. All right, next one is yours, sir. Edwin Neji from Maine emails us weather to weather, weather to weather. It's all in the inflection, Brett. It absolutely is, and the spelling, which is hard, to, which is hard to get across on a uh, verbal medium. Anyway, carry on. I've been enjoying the podcast and hope you and yours had a great new year. Uh, thanks, Edwin. Here in Maine, we're thinking about weather. Eh, go figure. I almost almost went to Evercon to warm up. <laughs> it was uh, 10 below, 14 and 15 below every day of Evercon. So I don't know what it was out by you, Edwin, but if it was colder than that, I pity you because that was not fun. Anyway, carry on, sir. Anyway, I'm pulling out the old framework here to see if it still works. Why is weather showing up? To reset the emotional tone. Rain to bring down the joy of a march. Bright, crisp day after a week and a putrid dungeon. To modify the difficulty of some specific obstacle. Tracking in snow versus drought. Archery in the wind. You guys talked about this a fair bit. To generally change the power level of the PCs. Going slowly takes more resources. Frost reduces dexterity. Heat causes exhaustion. To demonstrate the mood of the world. In Mordor, it is cloudy. Uh, as a story hook, the dam is full and the heavy snowpack means that uh, come spring, the valley will flood. What do you do? To be honest, though, it's, a, it's normally a percentile die roll. One of the many times I roll without saying anything is when I remember that I need to check the weather. High means bad or worsening. We've had some memorable sessions due to rolling 99 or 100. I also had a lengthy campaign with multiple DMs and split tables with concurrent adventures in the same region of the world. Our convention was that if weather came up, it was basically whatever the real world weather was doing that day. This avoided having con conflicting stories and provided the possibility for joint storytelling after the game. Man, that rainstorm sucked. Wow. You had a rainstorm too? I don't think the players ever twigged to this. Cheers. <laughs> That's funny. Cheers, Edwin. I have, uh, my buddy Lenny did that where we were playing a game that was set in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it was a short campaign stint basically over the summer, uh, spring and summer. So what he did was every day that we sat down to play, he just pulled up the old, uh, uh, what was it on his iPhone and said, Hey, what's the weather in Milwaukee? That was today's weather in Milwaukee. So that was kind of cool. Oh my gosh, big one. <clears throat> Get ready for it here. Krim fan hits us with a couple of topic suggestions. Hey guys, love your show. I've been thinking about a few topics recently that might be of interest. You may have covered this in the many episodes you've had, though I've listened to quite a few. Still, they may be useful new topics, and I figured I'd throw them out. Number one is breaking out of a quote-unquote long climb campaign progression. The standard tabletop RPG proceeds from low level to going to high in a long climb. This can be quite limiting. Campaigns don't often finish. Players become bored with the characters. The DM loses interest or gets bogged down in some minutiae. <sighs> some new thing comes along, etc. Apropos, he, he this, just he just summed up like every game I start and end. Yeah, I was gonna say he's just he's, <laughs> he, you game with Sean. I see. I see you. You've gamed with Sean as well, Krim fan. My God, this guy's in my head. 
I've been experimenting with things that are often effective in the long multi-part TV shows, such as Game of Thrones, that to me feel like the closest analogy to a campaign. For instance, having the story being told by different groups of characters, possibly quite different levels. This can help the players by letting them scratch a different itch for a particular character. In a high-level group, 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 in a high-level group, you're playing the barbarian, but in a low-level group, you're playing the cleric, thereby getting to play both characters. Personalities can differ too. It helps the DM because it doesn't put all the story ideas on one set of characters. The PCs don't even need to be in the same part of the campaign world, as long as their stories influence each other enough to make things feel cohesive to the players, assuming they think about it. For instance, events in one part of the world may bear on another. The PCs don't know what's what, the players do. Of course, the downside is that it's complicated and not for all groups. There might be other pitfalls too. I will say, Crim fan, I'll tell you right now, I, um, excuse me, <clears throat> when I ran my vampire campaign back in the day, that 15 year chunk, it was basically that. It was a series of campaign arcs that were all connected together. Characters would remake, char- would players, excuse me, would remake characters. We'd start a new session of it. And they would find out that some of the things that happened last in the last um, vampire campaign impacted this one and vice versa. So I have done a similar thing and it does work pretty well. And I really like the idea. I think we may have to uh, expand upon that. Next idea he has for us is the influence of maps and minis on encounter design. Sean, I've talked about uh, talked about this a little bit before. Um, one thing that I recently noticed was the, the degree to which maps and minis have changed the encounters I write. In general, encounters are constrained by the size of the table available to the players. <laughs> I've had that problem, right? You, you want to roll out the six by six mat and you got a four by four table. What are y'all going to do? Long range. Long range. Yes. What is long range? Like 120? <laughs> is it 120? Something like that. It's like, yeah, it's, it's 20. It's a, that's, a lo- that's a lot of heck. That's a lot of one inch squares. I'll tell you that. This is highly notable in D&D 4E, of course, because the ranges were all altered to fit the map they assumed everyone was using. Having an archery duel was a major fr- hey, having an archery duel was a major frustration for melee characters, and one of the bouncers for that was to make the map sizes small. It's notable in an online environment too, where a system like Roll20.net, Fantasy Grounds, etc., make maps of a certain size practical. Even in 5E, or in the odd changes, uh, chances I get to run other games, I tend to find that the use of map changes what I build. I tend to want to use the whole map, which makes more library counters than, quote, you run into D8 orc warriors, unquote. Why use a few orcs when I've got a whole map? <clears throat> Besides, the cost of breaking up the map tends to make small encounters a nuisance, something that's particularly true online. However, there is still a role for such small encounters. 5e seems to assume they'll present, uh, they're present in the, rest, in the rest mechanics, for instance. Are these things worth trying? For instance, does it make sense to have multiple grid sizes? For example, having the extremes of the map be 10 feet or even larger, but at some point switches to the ubiquitous five-foot tactical grid. Hmm. Oh, man. You that's, know, a point. that's a neat point. I like that. I remember like getting a module, first edition AD&D module, and you're like, map, okay, great. And this was even before you would get into the tactical movement that becomes 3-0, you know, and we'd be like, okay, oh, oh, and then you flip and you go to another map, like, oh, shit, now it's not one square equals one foot or five feet. And now it equals 10 feet. Oh. I remember my players wanting to map all that stuff, right? So you get a sheet of graph paper from your local store, your little bitty, you know, drawing graph paper. And uh, that would we all made our dungeons on. And you get the adventure, you'd run against the giants, or whatever it is. And you try to figure out where on that piece of paper to start the entrance to the dungeon. 
because you only had so many sheets of graph paper because you're poor, stupid high school kids. You don't have a lot of cash to be blown on stacks and stacks of graph paper. So you look at the game master and without trying to make him give it away, you'd be like, look, there's an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Should I start it in the middle on the bottom? You know, portrait size. Where should I start this thing? Because I don't have a lot of graph paper today. You know, I remember mapping is a goofy thing. Um, I think this we have talked a little bit about this. And it, Sean, I think both of these ideas are really solid. And uh, I think we owe Crim fans some uh, feedback on these a little, little deeper. Cool. Uh, I remember having the uh, the green grid paper that had like 10 squares per, was it per inch? Yeah, you had like the big and square the big, and then there were smaller ones in it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I remember guys drawing mega dungeons in that stupid thing. Like in an eight and a half by 11, it was just like, oh my God, what is in that thing? Yeah. <laughs> I have reading glasses now. I don't think I could. I don't <laughs> even, I think I would need my read, my glasses now plus a magnifier to see that stuff. Good Lord. Yes. Cool. Thank you. Good, good ideas though, Crim fan. Thanks, man. James King Silverbolt. I don't know, I think James has ever written in before or, or communicated. I don't know. Writes us We're about starting game off on a good side. This is a this is a lengthy one. This even is even away from the table. Dear Gaming NBS, I started listening to your show a couple months back and I try to catch up when there's quite quiet moments at work. So some of the story I share with you is related to an episode a short while back, episode 102, Gaming Away from the Table. That was implemented recently. While playing Pathfinder, we spent one whole session discussing how we try to establish ourselves more in the community of Sandpoint. <laughs> I know what module he's going through. Rise of the Ruin Lords, my man. First, okay. first, first uh, episode. Okay. I think. Uh, we did this in between adventuring and major plot points. It was okay, but it really hindered the li limited time we had together around the table. After listening to that episode, the next time this part of the story came along, I asked our GM if we could try something new. I relayed the idea of using secret emails and each of us telling what equipment we wanted to buy and what we did in the community during downtime. I referred, to, referred my DM to the episode and he listened to it and decided to give it a try. Now I'm kind of scared to have you read the rest of it because I haven't read it. I'm hoping this isn't like a... They... they and it oh, failed miserably. A, it it failed miserably, and you've lost multiple listeners because you guys are idiots. Anyway, carry on. I play the team's thief and rogue as a mischievous goblin named Shanks. Ever since being introduced to the town of Sandpoint, Shanks has wanted to buy a local aisle called Chopper's Isle. The problem was that there were rumors of the island being haunted, and Shanks knew he wouldn't be able to clear the aisle himself if such a thing, if such a thing were true. The team refused to help because Shanks is a little greedy and stole for, uh, for the townsfolk at times, and it was their way of getting back at him. In between session, I emailed by DM on how I would purchase the aisle in secret and hire con artists to come into town claiming that one of their children got stranded on the aisle. It took a couple of emails to get it all planned out, but as a result, when we came back from our session, uh, the party was fooled into believing the con artists and uh, believing the conners and charged into Chopper Isle to rescue the lost child. <laughs> that's, that's good awesome. stuff. There. That's, that's fucking awesome. That is uh, the awesome. DM, the DM planned a side adventure to get us up to our next level, and we almost had several players die trying to find this lost child 
and kill a series of ghosts and demons. Our weak wizard pulled out his new magic rope with pride and almost died climbing to the aisle. We slept on the aisle and got attacked in the middle of the night by a demon. Our tank didn't have his armor and almost died as well. Uh, died as well, our ranged fighter. Oh, my God. The whole time I was having a hard time not cracking up, and it was a fun time trying to not to let the group know the DMs and my secret. We did well enough, though, and no one expected anything amiss. We cleared the aisle, and the party kept searching the aisle for the child, thinking they were not thinking of something. As they do, right? I can't find that. I can't find the kid. Where is it? Secret doors. There's got to be another secret door somewhere. Tracks. There's got to be tracks. There's got to be remnants. There's got to be something. The part then got uh, the party then got word that con artists had mysteriously vanished and were not in the town. I almost convinced the party that maybe if the ghost of the aisle, the if the ghost of oh of the aisle that were beaconing us to clear the aisle. Oh my god, I got that all messed up. <laughs> that were be- okay. However, one of the party members guessed that I was being a little too willing to let a missing child not be found. Wait a second, you son of a bitch. You just set this whole thing up, didn't you? You almost got us all killed. He screamed and we all laughed at how clever we were able to use this idea. For the next little bit of gaming, we had to play my character getting back into good graces with my party, but it was so worth it. So thanks for the discussion around this idea. It helped us figure out a process of getting our characters more fleshed out in downtime. It also gave our DM time to figure out how to use a side quest to get to the level we wanted to get us to for the next part of the adventure. Plus, it allowed me the chance to introduce your podcast to our group. James well, that is awesome. Silverbone. That Shank. is awesome, James. Shank. Long live Shake. Long live Shank. <laughs> Shank, the deceiver of party members. I, I'll tell you, man, when you do this type of thing, I mean, I go back to my my gaming group of, you know, the Wasa gods of gaming that. Uh, but when you when I ran Amber and Vampire and those things and you had downtime, that was no one ever took it quite this far. But there was uh, plenty of attempting to manipulate and twist and turn and set things up. So this is. Um, I've I've not seen this done before. This is really, really cool. Sean, well, and the nice it, thing about it, the nice thing about it is he was conniving and scheming, but he didn't, it wasn't in a way that he was backstabbing his entire party. He was just getting no, it was, motivated in a particular direction. He was wanting. Yeah. And I mean, when they say you son of a bitch and then they laugh and have a good time and, and so on, and they're doing it in character, they're doing it the right way. Right. No one took it personally or thought it was a horrible thing. They all get to level up. Oh, it's tough. It's this, it's that, but Hey, you know, the adventure is a tough gig. That is cool. That is so cool. Yeah, well done. Very well done. <clears throat> All right, next up, we got Jason from the Twin Cities. Hi, guys. Had a couple of random thoughts in two recent episodes. 117, creative spellcasting. Not sure if this counts as creative spellcasting, but it was a creative use of a spell effect. I was running Temple of Elemental Evil, and spoiler, the party was ambushed by the giant frogs outside the moat house. One of the PCs was swallowed whole. He asked if he could drink a potion, and I conditioned it on a successful strength check. He made the check and drank what turned out to be a potion of enlarged person. Of course. <laughs> the frog explodes and a PC emerges dripping in froggy entrails and holding an empty vial. Much fun was had by all, except for the unfortunate giant frog, of course. I like that. Yeah, that's good money there. It is. 
I mean, I've had people that have done that where they've been swallowed alive before. Like, oh, yeah, I got a potion of giant size or whatever it happens to be. Blam. Like, so you got purple worm guts everywhere. Uh, 121 names. One small request to the community, by which I mean to include players, game masters, and fancy writers. Stop using fucking apostrophes in names where they don't belong. Oh, my God. I'm totally with you, brother. Maybe apostrophes make sense in some cultures, but not in the vaguely Western European world where most mainstream fantasy is set, barring Irish names. I used to be guilty of this as well, but now when I read an apostrophe in a name, I hear a loud, wet farting sound. I guarantee you <laughs> we'll stop. <laughs> you will stop as well if you read Driz Durden the same way I do. Thanks, Brett and Sean, for keeping up the good work. Awesome. That is that is one of those things where we, where Sean and I talked about, like the excessive use of extra consonants and vowels, and I forgot to mention the random apostrophe dash or other weird... Um, you know, marking just to make the name look funny or funky. Mm. Good. Points. Jason also, uh, I think he called you out, Brett, during your no cuss episode. Did he? Oh. There was a, he thinks there was a goddamn in there somewhere. Oh, I'll have to go back and listen to it. Yeah, we might have to uh, see if that passed uh, the censorship board as being officially censored. Yeah, I could let one of my kids, one of my younger kids, listen to it. If they come back and say, "Daddy, you said a cuss," then I'll I'll know I was naughty. Although I think in the Ed Greenwood interview, you didn't cuss once. Yeah, I don't think I did either. Although uh, it's been a while, um, I got to queued up to listen to it because I was actually curious if I dropped any F bombs while talking to Ed. Like, hey, that's pretty fucking cool, Ed. I was wondering if I did that. I have no idea if I did. I don't, I don't remember I don't anymore. Think, I don't think you did. Okay. Anyway. Oh. Thanks for writing in, Jace. Jason. Absolutely, man. He's our, you know Jason, Brett. You've met him. He's the one that came down for Game Hole from the cities. That's right. I remember Jason. All right. So, hello, Brett and Sean. I really enjoy the podcast and often listen to you guys while painting minis. In addition to being a gamer, I'm also a huge music fan. My question to you guys is, does the music you listen to ever inspire your gaming? Yeah. I guess it hasn't for a while, but it used to pretty heavily. I think my bad magic game was entirely based on the last motorhead album called bad magic. Every session was based on a song title. Did you incorporate the lyrics yeah, of into the adventure? Oh yeah. Dropped them in bits and places. Yeah. yeah. Very, very nice, man. <laughs> that was fun. Very and wizard. I had a guy, in a, I had a guy in my group who like is a big motorhead fan and he totally missed it. So I was pretty happy. Got to be sneaky. Yeah, I think uh, I think I posted on Google Plus like running a a game that's inspired by old eighties like metal bands like Have Man on the Silver Mountain. Yeah, yeah, you know, Mr. Crowley. Yeah, you know. Anyways, so yeah, uh, while I've never written an adventure based solely on a song or an album, I've often used ideas for characters, NPCs, monsters, and plot twists. Some of the bands that influence my games are Dio, Rainbow, Man on the Silver Mountain. Whoa! I'm the man on the Silver Mountain! All right. Come on, Brad. <laughs> no, Jam I'm fine. Carry on. Judas Priest? Heck yeah, man. Need some Judas Priest. I named a bad guy a uh, painkiller one time. Painkiller? Judas. Yeah. I have that album, and it was kind of where I was starting to fade away. That's okay. I just, that song, I love that song, and I had that. It's a good one. Iron Maiden. Yeah, it is. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of good stuff in Maiden. Led Zeppelin and many others. How about you guys? What would we find on Brett and Sean's RPG playlist? Good luck with Evercon, Brett. Looking forward to seeing you guys at GameholeCon 2017. Walt from Wisconsin. You know, Sean, that's... <clears throat> excuse me, you and I have been talking about this type of thing for a while. Kind of a topic for a show is the the books we're reading, you know, the stuff that, you know, music we're listening to, that type of thing. It might, even if it's not a show thing, it might be worth putting out in the Facebook community, Google Plus community. So I think that's something we can put together. So, I know I did run a, I ran a D&D adventure based on uh, a Monomarth song. Um, shit, I can't remember the title, but there's... It was the my adventure was hold the line. If you're a patron, I sent you guys last uh, last uh, patron uh, reward posting. If you're at the five dollar and up, get a little synopsis from that and the characters that played in it. But uh, that song itself inspired me to create that adventure. So when I ran, when I read the Dragonlance uh, series and then into the twins, right? So the Dragonlance Chronicles, and then we went into the uh, the twins trilogy. Mm-hmm. Judas Priest uh, live album, like out in the cold. Just I'm not a, I'm not a live album guy. It, well, I, I don't, just don't like, get into live albums. I cannot stand live albums. It was one of the few that I actually cared for. Okay. Yeah, hmm. out in the cold. What is a few other ones? Turbo Lover, but that one didn't really jive with the book. But some of the other ones, they didn't really align with the book. But I remember like that was that's the connection reading. Yeah, and it was weird because I don't think I can read and listen to music now where before I did. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's certain things that if you do it, if the juxtaposition is right, you hear, taste, smell, see, eat, whatever it is. They oh, I the first time I had this, this happened. Um, so weird, bizarre aside, maybe not that weird, but a Moscow Mule. I had my first Moscow Mule a while back, like about a month ago. Like oh, this is pretty good. I associate Moscow Mules with winter. Like, oh, that's a great winter drink. I was talking to a buddy of mine I work with, and Mark looked at me and said, What are you crazy? Drink it off the golf course. We walk off the golf course, it's super hot and it's refreshing. It's really cool and crisp with the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nah, nah, winter, man. And he's like, What? I said, Well, I just had one. He's like, Oh, yeah. First time I had one was like it was 90 degrees out. I'm like, Yeah, see, there we go. Two things are just happen to be connected that way. Interesting, interesting. All right. Next up is Steve Orlick. Uh, salutations, my RPGing brethren. Just wanted to share some spellcasting hijinks recently used in my 5e D&D campaign. My players seem to have a fetish for bags of holding. Oh my god, you get players' bags of holding or anything like that. They love it. Once they pushed a demilich into one during a fight, I allowed it because it was funny and they lost everything they had in it. But I also used it as a yes and thing. They didn't know the ant. They don't know the ant yet. They subsequently gave the bag to bag, excuse me, bag to a king they later met, saying there might be a demilich in there, but if not, there's there's uh, there's a lot of good loot. Up to the king if he wants to open it. No spellcasting there, but next time, a rock roc for those uh, not reading not reading this, um, swooping in fast thirty feet above the party, the diviner wizard casts polymorph using his uh, portent die a five to force the rock to fail the save. He turns the rock into a frog. The warlock casts Featherfall on the falling frog to prevent it from dying on impact and reverting to a rock. War priest clear catches Feather Falling Frog in a, you guessed it, bag of holding. Frog suffocates, reverts to, reverts to a rock, destroys bag, sending rock and contents to the astral plane where there may or may not be a demilich floating around there with some cool swag. 
Is there a rock riding Demulich in our intrepid adventurous future? Maybe. <laughs> Thinking no more bags of holding, though. Welcome to the rules of encumbrance, fuckers. I tried to be nice. Evil DM grin. <laughs> Carry on with the BS, Steve Orlick. Oh, and P.S. Brett's what, what's wrong with the name Steve? You rat bastard. All right. You got me there. <laughs> you got me there, Steve. I uh, My favorite use, uh, Demi I had a similar Demulich thing, but it was a bag of devouring. The guys, I, I played through an adventure and they had a Demulich. It was a first E Osric game. And we had high level characters. And they allowed them to randomly take different magic items. And one of them ended up with a bag of devouring. Everyone said, oh, Alpha, you'll never use that for anything. And the halfling thief snuck up behind the Demulich's floating head and whoop, bagged it. Kaboom. Almost a TPK. But they managed to kill the Demulich in the process. I like this. That's very good. I love the idea of a Demulich riding an undead rock. It's loaded down with a party's loot. <laughs> Hunting the party down. I love that idea. Good stuff. Thanks for everybody uh, writing in. Absolutely. Always good. Always good. All right. Let's always, get always to the main topic. Let's do it, man. Social encounters. Yes. So Sean and I have talked about this a couple different times on and off the mics. I think just kind of as focused as we can get. But I tend to think of combat encounters being easier to think about or set up or even ad hoc and so forth. But the social ones have some different problems, not only from player game master side, but even sometimes in the mechanics end of the gaming. So I figured we'd sit here and uh, talk about them for a bit, Sean. You cool with that? I'm totally cool with that, man. That's good because it was your topic idea. Um, I what? Just, <laughs> it was. I just filled in the notes. <laughs> so I'm going to pull a Phil Vacchione here and do I'm going to pull a semi-Phil Vacchione. I'm going to do a shitty job defining something. But basically, a social encounter, the way I, I think of them, is any encounter um, where the PCs are interacting with NPCs or monsters in a way other than trying to stab them, burn them, crush them, kill them, maim them, whatever. It's the talky part of the game, if you will. So that's kind of how I see it. So, Sean, what uh, what do you think about uh, social encounters and so forth in your gaming? What's the first problem or wh what do you think of that comes to mind? Do you think, oh, my God, this game we're running has shitty mechanics for it? Or do you worry about the players not being able to role play it enough? Or is there anything like that come to your mind? Well, it involves role playing is the first problem. It involves that. There's no train in role play. There's no train in social encounters. There's no combat. There's no, you know, it's talky talky time. What's the name of the NPC? Oh, what's their motivation? And it's just a lot of work you don't want to have to do. It's like, you know, it's irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevant. It's, it's don't irrelevant. worry about it. It's like, well, give me a roll. <laughs> so. What you just said there, and I know tongue-in-cheek, but I have had the pleasure of playing with a number of different gamers over the years, and I had a few different people, men and women, who loved the role-playing, talking aspects of it, talking in character to other characters and NPCs and so forth. And then I had a, I've had other players at the same table who only have a slight tolerance or no tolerance for that shit, at least as far as they put it. Um, we're like, look, you know... My PC has social skills up the wazoo. I suck at social skills. That's not me. I just want to make a die roll. Have you you've run into this, Sean? I take it. 
Yeah, I think every any dungeon master, game master that has run a game will run into that issue where they want to roll a die. Yep. And and then, you know, which is you know, in some systems, I mean, that's what the skills for, right? I'm not a talky-talky person. So, how am I going to role play a person with an 18 intelligence? Diplomacy, yeah, 19 charisma, yeah, yeah diplomacy 15, skills, and- 15 skilled, you know, ranks and diplomacy, right? But I'm sure we were to talk about, you know, what that means or or what the person can do to facilitate that. Yes. Now, to to take it back a, a notch, though, one of the things that this kind of goes to the old session zero concept, right? Of discuss and talk things out, is that if Sean says, "Hey, I want to play the ultimate diplomat." I'm like, okay, Sean, um, so you know, brother, when we're running this, we're going to have to have, um, are you looking, what are you looking to get out of it? Are you looking to like have a lot of social interaction? You just want to roll some dice? And so basically what I'm saying is ask those questions of your players and players ask the same thing of game masters. Um, oh, and Tom Flanagan asked me to ask you not to sing, just so you know. What? How did he ask you that? <laughs> oh, he found me. I got sources. Uh, dirty bastard. Because he's <laughs> over in the chat room. I just ignore him. I told him I'd sing louder. Anyway, um, the point is, though, is that I really think that it's it's good to have that discussion, right? So that if, if you know, Susan wants to be a character that, like, look, I just want to be a combat character, blah, blah, blah. I really don't want to get into social stuff. That's pretty easy to understand. But if you could have somebody who's played that type of combat-focused character or whatever it is or really doesn't understand how you, Sean, or Ibrat, or whomever l- runs the game, you know, what does it mean to be a super social character in Pathfinder or 3 or 3.0 or 3.5 or something when there's a skill list for everything, or even in GURPS and some of those systems, uh, or in an OSR type of game where there's not a lot of skills, different connotations and so forth. And I think it is worth having that discussion up front. So that way, when the character, when the player says, look, I make a person who's not me. And I know I'm not like the most silver-tongued devil you've ever met, but I really like to play this silver-tongued bard. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I like those type of characters. Um, Can I rely on skill roles? Or can I at least do something? And this kind of gets into what you were uh, hinting at earlier, Sean, is can I get in, can I explain to you what I'm trying to accomplish and then use the dice to help me determine how much of that I get or don't get? So I think having that talk up front as opposed to waiting for the first big social encounter to hit you is better what do you think about that good bad ugly planning up front yeah just talking up just talking it out like how you're going to do it you mean establishing the rules of social encounters brett yeah if not even if you don't establish them 100 percent, it's just kind of talking through how you as the game master are going to use them and what the player is expecting to get out of them especially if they're making a very social encounter heavy character right Oh yeah, if it's yeah, when somebody says they want to be social talky talky face person, yeah. yeah, then unless it is, I mean, Shadowrun and stuff's got kind of face and espionage games kind of have a face class, so it kind of comes with the territory. And but the, you don't want to you don't want to have people that aren't used to that or to shy away from going, hey Brett, you're no good at social encounters, dude. As a player, you suck right, at right. that, so you can't play the face man ever because you Brett right. are no good. We don't want to do that. Well, 
No, I guess you don't. But at the same time, how <laughs> I guess you don't. That's just rude, man. How, how likely is it that you're gonna have like the little, the little mouse in the corner be the forefront of every role playing situation that in encompasses some type of social interaction? I know, I know. what I, I get. Maybe you get a lot of them. I don't know. No, I get what you're saying, though. What I'm, I guess, where I was, what I'm trying to say is that if that is a focus, if a character tells you, "Look, I really want to be." archer lady and i want to archer the hell out of everything i can with my archery and my bows and my bow your fletcher skills okay great i get that if you make a person who's super talky and that's what he or she wants to do if angela says hey i want to be you know like the face lady and she's the one who runs the uh all the interference for our spy network and blah 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 it bears asking angela hey Ange, do you want to do this you know i'm thinking we can run social encounters like this are you comfortable do you want to role play all that stuff because the other thing that comes with this is you can get and this is you can get grandstanding, right? You can get that player character or the player who's really good at social stuff. I've gamed with people who are uh, former theater majors who have done acting on stage and so forth, and even people who are just you know talk all the fucking time like I do. You can get some serious grandstanding, right? Where you get well, I have to role play this out. Even if the idea is, look, Sean, I'm just going to role play this a little bit. You tell me what kind of bonus I get in my die roll after my amazing role playing. And then I blather on for 15 minutes about the wholesale price of yams just so I can try to sweet talk this vendor, you know? Well, here's, here is the problem in which you are proposing the question to Brett. Is that lay, lay it on me, lay it is, on me. Is, does the system provide a method to resolve this this thing you are proposing because you're kind of you're kind of going off you're you're trying to set the expectations between you as a game master and the person the the player and the you know yep. and the player wanting to be that social person yes and then trying to make sure that you understand like hey this is how the system runs this is how oh, I use it right so are we in agreement here is that good or are we going to have to discuss which it further is, somebody says oh I don't like doing it like that so I don't want to play the character which is going to kind of you know it's it's pointing out that the system has some shortcomings because if it was a system that laid that out well the player would know how it rolls and the game master would know how it rolls and the player would be like yes this is why i want to play talky talky social person assuming like, okay that's assuming right. everybody's running the game exactly as written correct okay so you're then, but I think I you're alluding to systems that are not very well defined on how those. Well, even if they, even if they are well defined, right? I mean, if it's like, hey, you're trying to bluff somebody, use your bluff skill. You don't have bluff skill, you can't fucking bluff them. And well, pe well, people are going to say like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, then some of those games have like, oh, if you're unskilled, you have a penalty. You have a this, you have a that. Well, some of it. So you know. you're, now you're you're tending to get into a little of the meta because then you're getting into. Yes. I walk into a room. I. I rolled a 10 on my search check. What do I see? Right. You're getting into like, I bluff. I, ro I rolled a 15 on bluff, but you're not asking the player what they're doing to bluff. They're, what are you saying? What are you telling this person? How are you bluffing them? I look them straight in the eye, man. But if the mechanic the eye, doesn't right? require, if the so where we're getting here is that if the mechanic doesn't require me to do that, then I don't have to do any of that. Right. If the game says, if I want to bluff them, if I want to search the room, I roll a search check. I don't have to describe what I'm doing or where I'm searching. I just tell you what it is I'm trying to accomplish. Okay. All right. You got me. You got me. Which is fine. 
it's so where I'm getting at is these social encounters. So this discussion, I think this is actually pretty cool because what's happening here is that if it was like, I want to hit him with my sword. Okay. That's pretty simple. If I want to do something flashy with my sword, that's a different discussion, but it's similar. Fuck. I totally went off there. Anyway, back, 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 back. Um, what happens is that you're like, well, I want to, I want to try to bluff the guard. Okay. Well, I'll make, give me a bluff check. I'm unskilled. Yeah, but can I make up for it? Because I'm like, you know, with my friends and I'm really going to lay a good line on them. No, because you're say, unskilled. You suck. Yeah, you're, I mean, you, Sean, you or Pat. You could try. Nothing says you can't do Yeah, but anything. can I get a bonus? Can I get a bonus for my talking, though? Can I get something? Uh, that's the problem. You're, you're, you're a shitty talker, man. That's, that's kind of the deal. No, but I'm giving you a description. Of what it, exactly. So where you're going is that's, that's that the is deal, the deal, man. Right? Yeah. It is. If you, if you have a skill set, um, got my voice is cracking here. If you have a, <laughs> if you have a skill set, I'll uh, pick on a GURPS or a Pathfinder. Well, this, this looking, is, you bluff, and right. you're like, "Look, your character is unskilled at bluff." Yeah, but I'm going to lay out this really cool bluff thing. Okay, look, here's the deal. Well, these you are can, the, you yeah. can you can talk a really good game, but at the end of the day, your character can't execute that game. Right? I know a little bit about particle physics. This is Brett talking. Very, very little, and I could talk a, a theory about a thing. But I can't execute that. I can't execute it. I know conceptually what a Holleron Collider is. I'm not running it, you know, because that would open a black hole in the entire world. The Brett got a hold of it. Not today, anyway. Not today, anyway. There's always tomorrow, Brett. Always tomorrow. But, hey, but, but it goes back to like savage worlds. Like people purposely take hindrances so they get a boon in something else, right? So you, you're a kind of a point thing. You take a hindrance, you get a, you know, I could take yep. an edge if I take a hindrance. And, you know, so I'm getting a boon for taking a uh, back uh, setback. Yes. But then you get these people that aren't role playing and they're setbacks, right? I'm going to take blind, but they can see everything. What? Now yeah. that doesn't work, man. I have pariah. I have social have pariah, but I'm, but, I'm a, but I'm a ladies man. How's that work? Right. <laughs> How's right. That that's why, that's why it's like, yeah, man, I mean, you know, for a player, I would might throw him a bone, but come on, that's the deal. You're 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 because you're not taking diplomacy, you're taking sneak. Yes. So your sneak skill is better because your diplomacy sucks. So for me to give you a bonus in diplomacy counteracts kind of how you've built your person. Yes. Right? Right. I think My, the, yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the thing about social encounters is that it's kind of like it's um, it's kind of like your combat, right? It's more, it's like roll to hit, I miss, or I hit, I do eight points of damage. It's more fun to have a descriptor to it. And we do that in combat regularly. We, a lot of gamers try to. Yeah, you know, two-handed swing, rawr, boom, cleave. Oh, that's awesome. I probably bust his sword or shield. I do this cool shit. You know, you've got these great descriptors. But your social encounter, your social combat, if you will, um, you want to describe what it is you're trying to do. And it's... I think then the the potential, and this is again, I don't know if the system I mean, we're talking any system off the you know any possible system, but the other thing is that look, if the player is leaning in that direction, like look, they're constantly trying to bluff people, they're really pushing in that direction. It might be worth the game master looking at that player and saying, you know what, um, you could spend some points. You've been using trying to use that bluff or diplomacy or schmoozing or debauchery skill or whatever it is you have carousing to try to accomplish something for a while you suck at it but you've been using it 10 different times it might be worth you know investing some points in it because it seems to be a thing you're into um that was one of the things i liked about the brp system the basic 
uh, role-playing system for uh, that Call of Cthulhu used um, was that if you succeeded in something, you, you got a check, and then you could roll against it to see if you would increase the skill through use, right? So if it was really hard for you to do, it would you you succeeded great, but a check it's pretty easy to increase it because you suck at that, so it's not that hard to get better. But um, I I think that that's one of those ways that when players suck at diplomacy, that then they you kind of throw them a bone, like look, well you you did it, it succeeded, you know, kind of the if you will a uh, dungeon world type of thing, you know, mark experience and then figure out how to do something to give them give them an edge or an opportunity to improve their character in that direction. Does that make sense? You don't like it. You don't like it. You don't like anything that helps the players. That's your problem. I mean, there's all kinds of debate around this, the social piece, because there's folks that are like, you know, okay, if the player, you know, gives their best shot, they're all, you know, go get them. And you want to put them a pat on the back and give them a bonus. You know, and, and every game master is going to be different. They're going to be like, yeah, tell me. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to give you an extra, you know, a modifier to your role. Great. Um, and some game I, systems don't even have skills like that, right? I mean, first edition AD&D, there's no diplomacy. There's no, no. bluff. There's none of that. It came down to you talking. Well, and for you describing what you're going to try to do. You know, some, might, some might say charisma plays a role, Brett. It could, but then it would be that's a skill check, right? So I think what we did when I was a kid, or a stat uh, check, excuse me, in first edition AD and D, it would be like who who we always had whoever the leader was, and we always had one who had a decent charisma, and we would just say what who's who's talking to who, and what are they? What do you say? And yeah. then based on what they say, and then I would say what's your what's your charisma, and then they would go. A 10 and I go, okay, you say that, but you spit all over the person's face while you're saying it. Right? It's kind of like uncool. Well, why would I do that though? I'm not stupid. I'm not no, uncool. But- why would I do that? And then that fight happens, right? Well, true. Then it's a role-playing moment. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I mean, just because you don't succeed in winning the person over doesn't mean it wasn't a fun encounter and it wasn't social. But at the same time, the the paladin who had like I think you needed a minimum of 17 for charisma to be a paladin. Yeah, you better be pretty charismatic back in the day. Yeah. Right? So you're getting in there, you know, giving the big speech. You can't handle the truth. I think there is something to be said, though, that even in the spirit of making the game itself more interesting, regard even if you have a very robust skill system that has all the different checks and balances within it, like, look, you're not skilled in bluff, you're not skilled in this, you've got shit charisma, therefore you're going to suck at this. By simply turning a social encounter into a, I hit, I miss, I do damage type of encounter. It, some people like that, but I believe that you're, that the world becomes more robust. Your gaming is, is uh, more in depth and uh, immersive for lack of a better term off the top of my head by adding those descriptors to it. Even that piece, like, look, you have a Brett, you've got a six charisma and your, your half work, you know, traditional half work with a six charisma. Cause you dump statted it, you dick. And uh, you're trying to smooth talk the barmaid. Yeah, good luck. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh God, I bet that's hilarious. You know, I'm trying to you know sweet talk this girl, and everything goes crazy south. Oh my God, you're right. Dude, you know what that is? It's Jim Belushi during Animal House when he's giving the speech, <laughs> like he's going off. Did we did we get go crazy when the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? <laughs> that's not. Germans? That's that's not. That's, that's in stripes, dude. No, no, no. 
Oh, that was Animal the oldest House. ones. Animal House, man. Jim Belushi, Animal he's going apeshit. He's oh, like, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get down in when the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. Jim's in bumper. Shut up. He's in a roll. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. He's in yeah. a roll. Right. He's yeah. like, in the speech, he's got that six charisma and he, he's like, he gives them the old best effort and really screws it up. And then what happens is the, the 17 charisma comes in and says, what he's trying to say is, is this. Yes. Moves it over. Right. So I think the, the cool part here is that the mechanics, whether for good or ill, whether you like the way the mechanic works or not, it gives you a, as impartial as you can get tool. So that way, when you're playing someone with a better charisma than you have, a better intelligence than you, a better strength, whatever it is, a better skill set than you have, or even much worse than you have an opportunity to play that character and then have a built-in impact. So <clears throat> the danger to me is when I have very charismatic players I played with, I used to have this problem more often years and years ago, was I could have somebody who basically had, had a couple of players back in my early vampire days who realized that as long as they were good gamers, they didn't bother to waste their points on certain social skills because they could just talk. Yeah. That, right? No. no. So, well, no. that that happens. That happens. It used to happen to me. I don't. I don't do that as much anymore. But I have to say that in the heat of a discussion, whatever it is, sometimes it's really, it's really fun, and everything, everything's rolling, and it seems like it's a lot. Of, it's a cool thing. It it can be simple to get caught up in something that is having the stupid ass barbarian happens to give a great speech, speech, and incredibly articulate, and so on and so forth, and like yes, oh rah rah rah, well, that's amazing, amazing. Instead of going back and going, no, it's Belushi, dude. You're Belushi. You have like right. a six charisma and like a three intelligence. There's no way it may have been rousing, but everyone, no one really understands what's going on. You and the five drunks get it because you're all speaking the same language, but otherwise nobody gets it. So I think we have to. If you don't like the mechanics that you're that the game system of choice for that particular event has, that's a different story. Perhaps maybe play a different game. But the reason the mechanics are there is that helps to kind of level set. If you don't have them, when you go back to your OSR stuff, that's your point, um, Sean, is that if you have that six charisma, the game master, it's incumbent on you and even the other players and the player, him or herself for Eng to look at that and say, yeah, you know what? Um, my fighter has a three intelligence, you know, and, you know, Jen and Sean go, yeah, you know, my, my bard is better at this, but, you know, whatever. I think the other thing that's fun then is that as an as npcs it gives the game master um the similar thing for for npcs right you want to make that guy who's loud obnoxious and boorish and seeing those stats and seeing those skills and how good they are how bad they are can help you role play that npc even better you know using those um like look he's trying to persuade you to do a thing but click he has such a shitty persuasion skill that you know i roll a four so yeah <laughs> he basically stumbles stutters flubs himself and so on so i i think the mechanics are really helpful the other piece that goes with that is i have played with people who have had very severe stutters um or um other speech impediments basically i played with people with speech impediments or who do not like a lot of limelight but when the opportunity comes for the fighter to bluff the guard because he's the big fighter to talk to the fighters because he's dressed as the guardsman in disguise or whatever. It gives that player a chance to have spotlight, but not have to talk as much. 
they can kind of third party describe. Yeah, I just want to kind of talk to them about a gambling game or something and just kind of bluff my way past them. That lets them, that player who may not be comfortable, you know, being a thespian narrating their entire uh, character's life, have something that can get them through the encounter and then be successful at it potentially. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to reading the table and knowing the players you have. And if if it's a home group, you probably know them fairly well. But if it's not and it's at a con, you might you might get a quick understanding of who is at the table uh, through these encounters because you're going to get you're going to get those that like, hey, I want to bluff something kind of quick, and they kind of frame it up. They probably don't want to go into a lot of the detail. Hey, that's cool. Bah. And then you I get did. the one that wants to grandstand and like, yep. you know, monologue and, and that's cool I, too. One of the things I have done, I did not do it as much this last game hole con. Cause I just completely fl- slipped my mind. But when I've run other games at conventions before I have my pre-gens, this person is like a face person. They, they like to talk, excuse me. They like to talk a lot and so forth. This person is super smart. That's like a group's tactician. I give very direct descriptions about each character that I lay out in front of the players to choose from. And um, <clears throat> that has helped me find out who likes that stuff because I remember playing. So playing with John wick when I was at queen city, John said, all right, it's a pirate ship. Y'all have to choose your captain. So I raised my hand and said, look, I don't need to be in charge. I don't necessarily want it. And the guy sitting directly across from me goes, I vote for him. And then sneeze exit right next to me. Me too. Everybody voted for me because I was the guy who said I didn't want it. So I ended up being the captain. And so that that can happen. But the other thing that that it does by having those descriptions to to characters uh, at, at a convention is it helps you figure that out. Because somebody, if the face person, the huge talkie talkie charisma goddess character, nobody wants to touch it with a ten foot pole. Well, it tells you right now that you might not have a play, uh, you know, table full of thespians that want to kind of go crazy like that. The other thing, though, I guess so. If we put just the mechanics and those components aside, excuse me, is that Social encounters, and I, I social encounters are good for experience points too. Basically, is what I want to say. Combat, like, hey, what's a what's the CR level? How much is it worth? So on and so forth. I think it is definitely if your system doesn't allow it, some kind of a check, some kind of a growth for it. It's definitely even D and D has those you know those ad hoc experience points that you can award if you're using them or something to do because social encounters are very important. And I think sometimes when we write adventures, we think about different things. We forget about that stuff. Yeah. The players are going to go in and look for information. Yeah. They might talk to a beat cop. They might talk to the professor. They might talk to this uh, member of a cult or something like that. But depending on how those things go, adventures can be short circuited, right? They talk to the cultist in the Cthulhu game and they roll really well or they do the right thing. Next thing you know, they've got five or six extra, bits or clues or leads that you didn't really think they would get. And they're often often running and they've, you know, skipping ahead in your adventure on you. That that's happened to me. So I think the importance of the social encounter, I mean, if all you want to do is kill, kill works and take their shit, that's totally legit too. If that's the style of game you want to do and that's what everybody at the table wants to do. But I think that even in your dungeon crawl, you can get plenty of social stuff, even if it's just inner party. You look at me I like can, I got three heads. I concur. So what do you, th- so Sean, when you think about your adventures and your running stuff, do you, 
I want to say this. Do you put a lot of stress on the social encounters or what do you, when you look at them, do you think, oh my God, this is going to be a time sink or what do you think? <laughs> no, I think you got to have a social, inc- I mean, you got to give the role play situation up to the, to the game. I mean, it's look, we could be playing a miniatures battles game. It's a role playing game. So while the combat and dungeon delving is fun, you got to have those, you got to have the social encounters for the people that want to role play and play role playing game for role playing. And so I think that depending on the system and uh, the game master and the group and the members of that group and how they kind of want to do that social interaction, some of it's going to be very, very easy, very upfront. Um, some of it's going to be kind of, you know, you negotiated. It's a conversation. You talk between you as a player to the game master, set the expectations if it needs to be. Otherwise, there's kind of the rules. And frankly, if the game master's like, look, here's the deal. These are the rules of the game. This is, you know, and they want to play that hard line. That's fine. They, that goes back to social contract and expectations. Yes. And I think, I think that's okay, right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and the other, if you're playing a investigative game, like, look, you're playing beat cops trying to figure out who murdered so-and-so. There's going to be a lot of social encounters. There's not always a lot of shoot. There'll probably be a couple alleyway shootouts and maybe a drive-by shooting or something like that. But there's going to be social encounters in, in investigative or a um, an intrigue game. People are trying to do things and manipulate you socially. Um, if you play Amber, Amber's tons and tons of social manipulations. And because that's the, the one of the main thrusts of that game. I think the other piece that's fun, like I used to, when I would run Dungeon Delves, the the players in my groups that wanted more role-playing, like, oh my God, I'm so sick of kicking indoors and killing stuff. So I started having, stopped all my monsters fighting to the death. They would come in, they would start, they would hack through 15 of the 20 kobolds, all their five kobolds drop their weapons on their knees and they're like quarter, quarter, quarter. They start begging. We'll tell you where treasure is. We'll do something. We'll, we'll do this thing for you. Just please, you know, don't kill us. And something as corny or as simplistic as that is a role-playing scenario in that session, right? You don't have, I mean, then you get to potentially have the argument over somebody wants to torture the kobolds or whatever. But when you have, when you find prisoners in the dungeon, you, you talk to an NPC. The dragon wants to talk to you for a while before he decides that whether it's going to eat you or not. Um, I've had players talk to liches, um, other undead that just want to talk more than they do want to murder you flat outright because they're bored and, and interested in doing something a little bit different in this millennia. Um, changing well, those give, things up makes the, the players, monsters become interesting. If you give the players something to find out, they don't know something. They got to... I mean, they gotta yes. ask. They gotta. They gotta discover something. They're gonna yep. have to kind of do that. that Especially, I'm if not it, gonna throw journals in front of them all day that like lay out the whole yeah. spiel, right? One more. Even, hidden, even me, man. Even me. Huh? Hey, <laughs> one more hidden map behind a cobblestone that has the uh, missing section of the dungeon perfectly mapped out. You know, having those having those five kobolds, you know, drop their spears and shields and say, "Look, we can get you right to the ogres." What? Secret entrance. Oh, I can show you where the secret entrance is. I get you to the back of the ogre's kitchen. Oh, really? Yeah. All you have to do is not just let us go. And then there's a negotiation. How do we do this? What don't we do? And all that stuff. So I think even in some of the older, well, I know for a fact, in some of the older modules that I've read back in the TSR days, there was 
the opportunity in a number of those things where they would tell you, hey, if you want, if you talk to the dragon, if you talk to the dryad, if you talk to the whatever, you could potentially find out these things. When I was in high school, nobody talked to shit. They just murder hobo the fuck out of everything you found. Oh, it's a dryad. Must be experience points. Hack it, hack. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I like, and I'll tie this to experience points, which we've talked about before. I like doing session-based or story-beat-based uh, level advancement versus just ticking off experience points. If you have a really good social encounter session, um, the players in my Avalon game right now with uh, Chris, Tom, and Emily and everybody, if they're having a really good social action session, there's no reason not to tally that up, if you will, as a regular combating-heavy session. And uh, ding, you you level up as necessary. There's no reason not to do that. If they find stuff out, if they role-play well, they have good luck with their skills, whatever, there's no reason not to reward them in a similar vein that you would a combat encounter. And that helps to enforce the fact that social encounters are important to you and gives everybody a chance to play that stuff. Do we got to wrap this shit up, man? We're talking about, we're talking in circles again. I know that's, that's the, that's the sign. Once the, once a train starts to circle on its own tracks, we start to, <laughs> we wrap it. Anyway, if you guys, uh, men and ladies out there, game masters, players, a lot of times, there's, as you know, Sean and I scratch the surface of some of these topics, and then we get some really great listener feedback. So if we've said things here, they're like, wait a minute, you guys are way the fuck off over here, or way the hell off over there, or hey, yeah, I like that, but send us those emails, voicemails, um, post on G+, or Facebook, and uh, we'd love to hear that stuff. And it helps us, as we did earlier, read that stuff out and uh, talk through it. Everybody's got good ideas and input, so the more the better. We didn't even get into systems, dude. I know that's we're gonna have to do it. We're gonna have to talk more a little about system specific stuff. I figured right now, if we laid the groundwork for kind of where we're going from, and then we'll see what the listeners think. If they like the idea, then we'll go back and grab a system, perhaps, and tear it apart from a social perspective. I Make want sense? Brett to tear. I want Brett to tear apart Duel of Wits. Duel of Wits. That's from Burning Wheel, my man. Oh my god, I don't. I don't have that game. No. Ugh. All right. Die roll. <laughs> Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery and inspiration we want to share with you, Brett. Yes, I have two of them. Um, one of them is about the some explorers who found a disease-cursed city of the monkey god, and they nearly lost their faces due to flesh-eating parasites. Um, that has a Cthulhu Mythos Delta Green thing written all over it. Or, oh shit, you can use it for any any number of games. Link in the show notes there. Another one is a link to some mysterious cloaks with masks found in Boston. Apparently, some folks were um, poking around in the Boston Underground in an old Boston subway station, found these uh, cloaks. These uh, construction worker came upon them in this little hollow section of concrete. There's a red and a blue cloak when unfurled. They have, um, th- they're covered with stars. They have these weird ghoulish like masks stitched into the hoods. No clue what they're from or what they're for, but they were found. So, well, it's a cult, man. Obviously, a cult. Bones, probably, you know, something in there. Clearly, clearly, clearly. But those are the types of things, again, you truth, stranger than fiction, and all that goodness. You grab that stuff and you make yourself an adventure. That's what you do there. Sean, over to you, sir. Uh, some cool DD and Pathfinder RPG sheets and character builder. Uh, Mr. Lumrunner Humfleet pointed this out i link in the show notes they're pretty smooth i like them uh, i might have to use one to build my next character since i died in curse of strad oh uh, gotta rebuild another wizard 
11th level, I think I'm starting out at. Cool. Just in time to go to Ravenloft, uh, Castle Ravenloft, and probably get whooped up on again. So spend a lot of time on that character. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? Player number character. five. It's old player, number five. Player character two. <laughs> PC two. What's silly the names? <laughs> it's, the big need, it's the big news. See, see names episode. Carry I thought on. I'd give these guys a shout out. We didn't put them in a die roll or anything. I'm going to give advantage to insight podcast by Alex and Wayne, some, some love. You know, we, we've talked about Alex and Wayne before advanced insight, but you're right. These hey, guys, wait, 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 Brett, we have talked about him, but now in a positive light. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Right, in a positive light this time on the record. Nice on the record. <laughs> no, we love Wayne and Alex. It's, it's good stuff. Gus is sleeping over there in the corner. Exactly. It's a good, yeah. it's a good show. It's a very good show. They've started doing something that Sean and I have been thinking about. Hey, we should dig into settings. And uh yeah, they kind of started digging into settings. So there you go. Uh, and then I'm gonna put out Dula Wits from Burning Wheel to kind of christen this old podcast episode. You can do uh I, I found it online. I think it's at burningwheel.com, so it's not like somewhere it shouldn't be and it actually lays out so if you're not familiar with burning wheel it's by luke crane um there's burning wheel burning wheel gold which i think is everything kind of consolidated it's another fantasy rpg i shouldn't say another but it's an interesting fantasy rpg i have been told that if you think pathfinder's crunchy burning wheel can be just as as much and uh dual wits is one of the few i think social based like there is a mechanic and a method to how it works and it actually is very interesting because it's like i mean it goes into like how to argue really yeah i mean it, as it says here though the duel of wits cannot make a character like or believe anything it can force him to agree to something even if only for the time being think of it as something similar to performance mechanic two performers at the stage competing for the audience's attention uh, but lack presence. Oh, wow. Wow. Holy cow. So, I mean, it's like state your case, body argument traits. And so it comes into play. I mean, it's one of the better social mechanics in a game. That's, you know, that that's probably out there uh, in my opinion, but anyways, that's in depth. Uh, in depth. Yeah. That's uh damn. that's what you have for me this week. Very nice. We've got Austin, one of our listeners. Austin, um, thank you very much. Unearthed Arcana article on Wizards of the Coast about the Artificer. Dude, I put this in last week's show. I know you did, but I had to. I want to make sure I called it out again because I really, really liked it. I didn't. I totally missed it last from you because I don't pay attention to anything you say. Well, he pointed sure out the guns. Out. He pointed out the guns component, he which makes me guns. Happy. Yeah. Shane Freeman also warned us about vampire bats feeding on humans for the first time. Link in the show notes. Just because we need to be afraid of that. And Spencer Clark stepped up to tell us about how to flip the switch and get some killer mice. A little science article there about flipping a switch in the brain turns lab rodents into killer mice. That just wow. that has the whole Manchurian candidate thing right in there for me. I love it. There's all kinds of bad juju in the brain. <laughs> exactly. I mess with the brain, man. It makes things do crazy stuff. It totally does. And then not then some of it's not so cool. Well, sweet. Hey, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brad. I was gonna say I think I think we're done, man. Thanks to Curtis for the review on iTunes, yo. Oh yeah, thank you, Curtis. Very cool, man. Thank you very much. 
Yeah. I was hoping we were going to start. We should have started out saying everybody should just give us like uh, one star, zero star. See what happens. <laughs> nice. Like you ever try to find the worst podcast online? <laughs> no. Review? I don't know. There's something to be said about just that. Probably. All one stars, but really good reviews. But he's at a one star. That would be terrible. <laughs> Speaking of not one star reviews. Mm-hmm. Yes. Five star review. Game hole con. Oh, hell yeah. That's a five-star review con, game con. Comes to you November, first weekend of November. Their update, I have heard through personal resources, personal friends of mine that says that the Clarion block of rooms is all booked. Oh, yeah. I tried to get a room. It's booked. And it's freaking January. So yeah, they op- they opened it on what January eighth, and I think it was filled by January 9th. Craziness, folks. Yeah, get your ass to Game Con. Absolutely, we'll be there. GameholeCon.com. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at the face Sean is making, he says, "I'm like speaking of a six charisma." Carry on. <laughs> That's great. All right, what are we talking about next week, Brett? You know what? I'm not sure. I've had a couple different things in the pipe there, but the uh, the goodies that we got from uh, CrimFan kind of make me think I might have to swap one out. So we'll see. I'm not quite sure yet. We'll come up with something good. Or not so good. We'll make people think it is good. Thank you to everybody who's listening to us, who has listened to us, that subscribes to us, that write in, writes into us, tweets to us, comments to us. Damn it. Yeah, post in the Google Plus communities, Facebook communities, all that good stuff. Too much freaking awesomeness out there. Absolutely. It, damn it, it. it. It really is cool. The men and women that uh, hang out in our little collective here are pretty fucking cool. So it's awesome to have you all here. So next week we're talking politics. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, we're not. The inauguration. we got to talk politics, Brad. Yeah, that, that's it's not something happening. we haven't broached yet. All right, maybe. <laughs> no. For- Gaming MBS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. Episodes like this one brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Merkel Froelich, Wayne Lumrunner Humphrey, James Carpio, not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, <gasps> Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, and Christopher Gray. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider going to GamingMBS.com forward slash Patreon. Thank you so much.